This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Eric Branson. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing good. Can't uh, actually complain too much anymore. I mean, can and will, I'm sure, but, you know, I'm going to say that because it's a polite thing to open with, but I'm good. I'm good. Uh, well, we were just talking about this literally before we started rolling here, but um, folks, you may hear the chirp of a cricket in the background because <laughs> you you will if it if my headphones are anything yeah, to say about where it but. i'm recording there is a cricket in here and i can't find it so it's just gonna join us ryan couldn't be here so we have another guest yeah our well, guest third third guest host tonight is uh this, the cricket should we name him like is that a i, I kind of feel like it's got to be hennessy but We'll, we'll get to that. There you go. Um, so have you, anything, anything, I mean, we're obviously the movie we're going to watch, we watched for tonight, but uh, have you watched anything else lately? Um, You know, I have been on, uh, yeah, I've actually gotten a couple things watched. I've been kind of playing catch up like I always do in my life. I mean, life with young kids, I think uh, you're just at the tail end of that now, I think, but so you totally get it. But yeah, so I play a catch up big time, but I just finally finished watching Knives Out for. Uh, oh, really? I still haven't time. seen it. Yeah. Really? It's incredibly good. Uh, I liked it a lot. Like, even more than I thought I was going to like it, because from reading about it, I pretty much had assumed, yeah, I'm going to dig this movie, and it's 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 fantastic. I would recommend it. Um, I also saw an interesting horror film called, uh, I don't know if you've, you've seen it or not, but The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I think I've heard the title. Um, with Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch, so it's uh Speaking of Brian Cox, because he's going to make an appearance in the movie tonight, so, but, yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. It, it was more like three quarters fantastic, and the ending didn't quite stick, but, in my opinion, but uh, def- it's certainly worth watching. But. Nice, nice. But, yeah, so, finally getting some stuff watched uh, here and there, but. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I had to, um, I guess, contribute to the low box office of Suicide Squad and watch it on HBO Max. Yeah, um, that's like next on my list. I got to watch. Yeah. I have a movie to watch for uh, another another buddy of mine and, and me have like a movie club. It's like a book club, but we pick a movie every month and then talk about it kind of thing. Kind of sounds familiar to a podcast I've heard. Right. But um, <laughs> all you're not doing uh, is recording it. <laughs> but, yeah, so I got to watch the, our movie for that this month. And then Suicide Squad's like the next thing that's burning in my in my queue of movies. I want to watch it. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely uh, an improvement from the first feature theatrical film i know there's some discussion yeah. about a, an air cut um, don't want to be one of those guys that says this kind of thing but that wouldn't really be hard to improve on so, so. right and you know with that first the, the for suicide squad there's there's aspects of it i like there was some casting i really liked there were moments shots i liked but ultimately yeah as we've talked about with the you know dc stuff on the show before the the studio 
meddling really hurt that film, uh, like incredibly. And this this one is is a, a really I don't know. I see why they call it a pseudo sequel reboot because it pretty much is. Um, but it's also hard to compare them because this is James Gunn. Yeah. And it's not Guardians of the Galaxy James Gunn. It's more like Slither James Gunn. <laughs> nice. So I I liked that. Um, I Now I would love to know what a Guardians movie would be like if he were allowed to make it R-rated. Yeah. That would be pretty amusing. But I think it works really well here for these characters and for this type of a setup. I mean, you're still looking at the Task Force X thing, obviously. So um, mm. it, it worked being much edgier and a hard R. Um, but yeah, I, and yeah. The, the casting in it is, is spectacular. So yeah, cause it is a sequel of sorts, right? Cause they use Margot Robbie again as, as Harley Quinn and, um, and, and Viola Davis and, and Viola um, Davis. Yeah. That's a, Joel yeah. Kinnaman and, um, Oh God, Captain Boomerang. Um, I'm blanking mm-hmm. on his name right now, which is sad, but, um, Jai Courtney. Shoot. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jai Courtney. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a number of, of, you know, people coming back. In, in this one and and uh but it really is its own film so there's a there's a connective thread there but um yeah it's it's definitely and holy shit all i'm gonna say polka dot man who would have thought <laughs> that would be such a fun character to see well when james gunn does it that way yeah it's really fun to see <laughs> Yeah, I really can't wait to see it. It's been one of the one of the movies, which is rare these days. Sad, sad to say. Uh, maybe I'm just an old man now or something, but um, I don't get super excited about a lot of movies coming out. And this has been one of them I've been excited to see. So cool, cool. So, looking forward to it. So. And now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. I would like to invite you to take a trip across all of time and space. Join us in the police box as we discuss the worlds of Doctor Who in a completely random order. We discuss it all. TV stories, audio adventures, novels, nonfiction books, and on and on. I'm your host, Eric Branson. I would be very happy if you'd join me for the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud partner of the Video Junkyard podcast and can be found on most major podcast platforms including SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafried. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. Video Tonight, though, we are going to be taking a, a step back to 1996. Correct? That's right. This one, this one came yeah, out in 96. Yeah, that's correct. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 1996 American spy action thriller, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Hello, girls. Caitlin, come help me in the kitchen. Hurry up, because I forget where it is. That's her mom. She's got amnesia. <laughs> what if you couldn't remember your real name, your first kiss, or your last goodbye? I don't remember. Honey, you have an ETA on that carrot? Stow it. And then suddenly, 
So this one was directed by Rennie Harlan, which I didn't realize when I picked it, because um, we've <laughs> talked about a couple of Rennie Harlan films on the show, and we've, you know. Yes, we have, and um, uh, Rennie, Rennie Harlan has retweeted us, and yeah. unfortunately he retweeted a very negative review, which I've always kind of felt bad about that after that happened. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to throw him a couple bones here that uh, we didn't on his uh, Exorcist prequel that right. uh, we... <laughs> We're big fans of, but uh, this one yeah. was also written and produced by uh, Shane Black. Well, it was produced by Shane Black and Stephanie Austin, but it was written by Shane Black. So yeah, uh, who's you know kind of known for a lot of these this era of of films in the '90s and early 2000s, writing these really you know the Lethal Weapon films and yeah. you know, Monster Squad, Last, Last Boy, Boy Scout, Scout, Monster Squad, yeah, yeah, Monster Squad, which I can't believe we haven't looked at on this show yet I, but. I, i've always kind of felt monster squad was was just too obvious <laughs> but maybe we should just review <laughs> but it. i mean we've done all the other two obvious ones at this point well right. maybe not all of them but many right. of them and uh yeah so i feel like that one's got to get here someday that that i think that that's like dying for like a halloween show or something maybe but yeah that'd be a good one we'll see yeah so uh long kiss good night though stars gina davis samuel l jackson tom amandez Yvonne Zima, Brian Cox, Patrick Malahide, Craig Birko, and David Morse follows an amniotic, amnesiatic school teacher who sets out on a journey to find out who she is with the help of a private detective until they discover a dark conspiracy. The big thing, though, is that she discovers that she was a an assassin. Not just a spy, yeah. but an assassin. Yeah, um, big money government assassin, yeah. So you get to see Gina Davis play essentially two very different characters. In, yeah, in this one film. that one that's very familiar, familiar Gina Davis territory, and yeah. one that's very much not. So, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The 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 
kind of her identity when she's the school teacher and mom and all that is is reminiscent of kind of how she was at the beginning of Beetlejuice in some ways. Yeah, yeah, um, very much so. But yeah, then when she becomes Charlie Baltimore, you know, her true identity, um, it, it's really, really interesting. What What's your first uh, exposure to this one? You know, I think this was a good old-fashioned, saw it at the video store, rented it, watched it, and uh, I remember really, really enjoying this movie just for, from the get-go. And I probably saw it, you know, somewhat contemporary, whatever it would have been when video released, 97, 98. Um, yeah, whenever it was a new release at the video store, picked it up, saw it, loved it, recommended it to people. I think I remember watching it a second or third time with friends or my cousin or something. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a lot of memories beyond that, so I'm pretty sure it was like contained to it when it was a fairly new movie. I liked it. I recommended it to people, saw it a couple of times and then nothing since then. So yeah, very similar. I remember when this came out and I know I didn't see it in theaters, but it was a, a thing I rented with some friends, uh, right after it came out. So that would have been probably 97. Well, let's see. It, it was released uh, in October, so yeah, it probably would have been out on video the following spring. Probably, yeah, uh, spring like, or summer, maybe. Yeah, and, and I remember seeing it around then, and yeah, I thought it was really cool. It, and rewatching this one was, was kind of fun because this is such a quintessential mid-90s action movie. Oh, yeah. Um, the cliches are, are everywhere here. It, they're <laughs> there, and, and that's yeah. not to knock it necessarily, it's just there, oh, no. you know, the 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 pacing the storytelling style the the style of the effects the explosions and stuff everything's very what we I saw mean, a lot in the 90s to take that into account i mean it's it's a rennie harlan movie right so he his most of his big hits were act more 90s action movies he kind of probably helped define oh that sure. style you're thinking of so i mean between like what cliffhanger and uh um well he did one of the diehard movies right and uh yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. A so, couple, couple of quintessential like action films of that. He also did an Elm Street movie and uh, you know that Andrew Dice Clay thing. But Ford Fairlane. He did Ford Fairlane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> I know he did four. I know he did Nightmare Four. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's huh. I didn't know he did Ford Fairlane. Cool. Um, yeah. So this one. The basic plot is that Gina Davis starts out as the character Samantha Kane. She's a school teacher in Pennsylvania. She's got this boyfriend she's had for like she's been, she's been in this situation for like eight years. When she woke up on this beach in New Jersey, she had no idea who she was. She was pregnant and has just kind of started this. Like, all she ever remembers that her name was Samantha. And so she's been hiring detectives left and right to try to help her track down her identity and. I, I did like the line where I hired a lot of expensive detectives. They didn't get anywhere, so I eventually ended up hiring cheap ones. And that's when you meet mm -hmm. Samuel L. Jackson or <laughs> Mitch Hennessy, who is a real low-life private detective. Yeah, kind of a, a he's kind of like a, a grift, semi-grifter and private detective because they're obviously scamming people at the same time, like him and his, uh, I don't know what she is, his assistant, his secretary, something along those lines. But Yeah, they... He is, he steals the show in this, and that's not to say anything against Gina Davis because her her this the split role she's doing is really well done. But Samuel yeah. L. Jackson is definitely the comic relief in this. Um, this he's great. At I this. feel like this movie next to I, 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 
I don't know. It's hard to say because Samuel L. Jackson has so many really, really great performances and stuff. But this one is certainly built off of his, you know, Pulp Fiction fame because he had a run of stuff in the 90s where literally they just like, hey, we saw Pulp Fiction. We really like Jules in that movie. Why don't you do something kind of like that? And um, so that's a little bit like what he's doing here. But this is a really, really meaty role for uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And I think even beyond um even even as time goes on past this movie and he got to like this legendary status he still has few and far between had like these really good like starring roles and he's he's in this film not only is he the comic relief but he's he's the fun character he's the uh relatable character he's the one you're kind of along for the ride yeah. with and uh you know he he gets to be a 50 50 main character let's not you know, sell the fact too short that in 1996, a action film helmed by a woman and a black male yeah. um, as the leads is, you know, something that you weren't seeing a whole lot of in the box office at the major Hollywood productions at the time. So Absolutely. And, um, but yeah, it's a yeah. great role for him. He's fantastic in this movie. He's hilarious in this movie. And I think this is one of those roles that uh, he certainly will be remembered for, even if the movie might not be the movie he's remembered for well I, he has said apparently in interviews that of all the movies he's done this is his favorite to rewatch because <laughs> yeah. he had so much fun with it and the, the one thing that stood and this wasn't this one of my notes is there's a, a mostly his dialogue there's a lot of discussion of getting ass fucked and bitches <laughs> is about is a good portion of the dialogue but (laughs) i like his opening basically his opening monologue the uh we'll just call it the ass fuck monologue yes uh yeah yeah it's it's a classic that's a good one and he also has this funny little um quirk that he does in the movie where his character to remember where he put things he sings a blues riff essentially Yeah. yeah I like that too. Putting up my keys. (laughs) It's just like (laughs) they're a bit inconsistent with it, but when he does it, it's great. It is funny, especially he's talking about like where his guns are and shit. It's just yeah, it's it's, kind of like the tune of man, which Manish Boy shows up in the credits later. But like yeah, the the tune of that that song, like he's just humming along, narrating his life, so he remembers everything. Yep. Um, But yeah, when when Gina Davis transforms essentially into Charlie. The, the the assassin and the spy um you're right you are seeing it from his perspective and his reaction which is very believable because a lot of it like he he doesn't believe it at first he thinks she's nuts yeah um which like, is, well he can't imagine that this this you know you know soft uh soft-spoken school teacher from you know rural pennsylvania or wherever she lives um is this you know, big numbers, government assassin who's uh, on the lam. <laughs> yeah, and you you seeing her kind of start to figure things out is always been some memorable stuff from this movie. Uh, there's there's a I I assume it's kind of a famous scene of her in the kitchen chopping carrots, and she starts chopping faster and faster, and she's like really good with a knife, and she's getting excited like, oh maybe I was a chef. Because a chef knows how to do this, and then she throws the knife. <laughs> she throws a tomato and throws a knife through it into the wall. Um, chefs do that. Chefs do that. Little little yeah. lines <laughs> like that, and you start. I, I did notice, you know, they start. Her language starts to get more and more rough, mm-hmm. and he calls her out. Samuel Jackson calls her out on it, and you know, the 
the line I even remember being from the trailer. It was like, two days ago, you were like, oh, poo, I burned the muffins. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and now you're, you know, you're going to a bar and sailors run out. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the, what it, there was one scene, though, that I, I wanted your thoughts on. It's And it's done to kind of show that she's starting to change a little bit. But when she's ice skating with her daughter, mm-hmm. who's like eight years old, and she gets a little aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, the the daughter falls down and and kind of hurts herself and doesn't want to continue. And she basically puts, um, goes into like, you know, uh, Charlie Baltimore mode and uh, tells her, gets very serious and loud and says, you know, well, life is pain. You need to get up and continue. I don't remember all the exact lines, but um, pretty much like get up and do this or you're dead to me kind of Yeah, speech. don't be a baby. and <laughs> Yeah. Don't then, be a baby, suck it up. Which her daughter ends up repeating to her, yeah, in the in, during the climax of the film when it looks like she's down for the count. So, which unfortunately is a scene that I don't think has aged well. You no, know, it kind of looks like there's lasting trauma there. It's real cringy <laughs> in 2021, and I'm not I'm not faulting really the movie for it entirely because you know that was a planned thing. I was like, oh, we're gonna have this come back, and it's gonna you know hmm. be a climax thing, like you said, but. Yeah. It's kind of seeming like that abusive moment is serving her well. Like it's kind of like, well, see, she had to endure that that abuse, but it served her well. Now she's helping out. <laughs> like this so. this movie though has a lot of scenes like that where it just kind of exemplifies the bat shittiness of action movies in the nineties. Yeah, the, the over the top yeah. effects and stuff. But that's what people were well, wanting and, to see, and the total lack of believability. It kind of. Kind of the 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 general uh, feeling that overtook the '90s James Bond films with Pierce Brosnan, like that that they're not even like grounded in reality at any point. Like there's no, which is fine. I think that's okay with action movies. I don't tend to like be one like this, you got to have this be really believable because it's not. It's it's spectacle. It's not really about believable. But um, the '90s kind of threw the book out on like things don't even have to like make logical sense in the space like it's just we're going to we got an idea and we're going to do it. <laughs> well, and and I'm going to say this and god forbid, you know, I'm going to get the Martin Scorsese treatment on this, you know. Action films in the 90s were akin to like Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah. You know, like Wiley e. Coyote falls off the cliff, poof, and he's back fine in the next scene or they get, you know, Daffy Duck gets set on fire, and he's fine in the next scene. Um, or shot in the face with a shotgun. Um, these movies around this era kind of followed a, a not-so-different, you know, script. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you got somebody, they get shot in the stomach, but they're still able to run. That kind of a thing. You know, it's... Yeah. Those, well, you know, the, the beating that... Uh... The, the beating that Mitch Hennessy takes in this film and keeps bouncing back from, which apparently I guess he wasn't originally supposed to bounce back that last time. But um, I, I did you read that in the no. I just up the Wikipedia page? But yeah, in Shane Black's original script, uh, Mitch doesn't make it. And uh, there was a, and I guess in the original version of the film as well, because the test screening audience really reacted poorly to him dying, and so they changed it. They stuck him in the end. So. Well, I mean it. It works, but yeah, he. Uh, oh, I like it better. I would have been really bummed if Mitch died. So yeah, and I don't that's care the how thing. many times he got shot or beat up, like he needed to make it through this movie. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? And that—that's kind of what I mean. Is is it's it's cartoonish, but there's a reason for it because people like it, and it's it 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 adds something to 
to the story. It's an enjoyable thing. And it, that's what I think I love about movies like this from the 90s is these were popcorn features. These were, you know, the, mm -hmm. the Flash Gordon type thing for our generation. These, the, you know, movies like this and Face Off and Con Air and stuff are just so <laughs> over the yeah. top. But Oh, God, Face Off is probably the most. But, but yeah. they're so fun that, you know, you do get swept up into it. So it's serving its purpose and it's doing a great job doing it. Of course, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not trying I remember, to be serious. I remember thinking "Long Kiss Goodnight" and "Face Off." Some of those movies. Um, this one specifically, I remember this being like, and this is funny because it, it kind of shows how movies have changed. But I remember this being like a balls to the wall action movie. Like I remember this being a very exciting, high paced, lots of action, really great movie. Um, watching it now, I did not feel that way. I didn't dislike it. I still liked a lot of things about it, but I did not feel like this was a super, like, exciting movie. Like, it's got some great action scenes. It's got, like, three big set-piece action scenes in it, uh, a, a big climax, you know, with a bomb, and all, all the good stuff you want in a 90s action movie. But I really remember this one being, like, edgier seat, exciting. And I think our standards have changed for what that means, because it's not as much as i remembered like <laughs> i don't know what do you think about that like do, I, I agree do you think we're spoiled with modern movies because it's just easier to do like well you know all it takes is one really successful film to change the status quo um you know there's a lot of movies we can look at over the last you know century and say once this movie we were talking about this before we recorded you know like a movie is made and it changes the way that films are made whether it's technically or narratively Oh, or or stylistically, um, and I think we're at a point now with action films. I, I'm not going to say they've gotten smarter because they did just make a ninth Fast and Furious movie. And while I haven't seen <laughs> any Fast and Furious movie, I know this one they drive a car into space. So you know, <laughs> we're, well, it's it's coming when you get when you get up in those nine, ten, elevens. You got to do the in space one, right? You got to do an in space one. Yeah. But but they're also self aware. Those films are, right. from what, I'm, what I've been told, they're very self-aware. They're very tongue-in-cheek. They know they're being ridiculous. They're kind of a throwback to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think we also have some action movies. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of the most recent Mission Impossible movie. And yeah, like all Mission Impossible movies, they're complex. Mm -hmm. And you know, even the, the, the Jason Bourne films are action movies, but they're... You know, they focus a lot more on the grand conspiracy. And there is a conspiracy in this movie, but it doesn't get in the way of explosions and that. Right. It takes a backseat to a couple of things, and that's action, number one. Number two is it takes a backseat to the relationship between um, Samantha and, and Mitch Hennessy. Like, this is an incredibly well-played um I don't know if it's a buddy movie, but it kind of is. Like, they get to know each other. They're kind of like the odd couple, right, thrown in together at the beginning. And, you know, just just like a buddy cop movie with the new partner kind of thing. But um, it's really well developed for an action movie. Like, the two of them, like, grow as characters throughout the movie. He becomes a little more invested and in, in more of a caring. Um, to by the end of it, where he's pretty much become Uncle Mitch, you know. Uh, and... It, and she obviously going through her her shift in personality, you know, becomes coming coming to terms with who she is, becomes comes to respect him as you know who he is, and the like at as a friend. I think they become you know 
by the end of this, like, good, well-knitted friends, I imagine they're going to know each other for the rest of their days or whatever when this, uh, and, it, and the cool thing is it's not really, it's not a romantic relationship, um, you know, even wars, though there is there is a kiss scene, but there, yeah, there's a few like, scenes. There's a part in this where when Charlie really is back, and mm. she tries to, I don't know if the word seduce is the right word, but for lack of a better, and and she he, tries to kill her other relationship. I think, which is what Mitch accuses her of, and I think he's absolutely correct with what her motivations are. But yeah, it's done to show that she's not okay. Right. Um, you know that she she doesn't really care at this at this moment that she has a daughter and she's like oh that Samantha had the kid I didn't you know like her other side and that that changes uh, and Sam mm-hmm. or I'm sorry and Mitch helps that along um, so yeah they have a really interesting relationship in this um, yeah it's really there's Samuel a really Jackson, great two two other characters really really great scene early in the film which just stood out as a good, like, kind of forward-thinking film that, like, there's a lot of, like, cliches in this 90s movie. It's very much a 90s movie. But then there's some there's some oddly placed forward-thinking shit in this movie. Like, you know, first of all, I mentioned that the leads are, you know, a, a woman and, and a black man. Um, there's also the scene in the, in the beginning of the film when Samuel L. Jackson is uh, hooting and hollering out of his car at a jogger. Just like, uh, you know, a good-looking female jogger. And there is a, like, semi-serious conversation about, like, why the hell did you do that? Like, between, you know, Gina Davis's character and him. And it actually is very poignant and I think stands up to 2021 scrutiny. Like, Absolutely. it's like, wow, she just, like, totally, like, takes him down a notch about, like, why are you hooting and, you know, yelling at people out your window? That's really inappropriate. And right. So not what I expect out of a 90s action film. So there's there's some good stuff here that's... Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think that the strongest thing about this entire movie is their relationship. And I think the actors playing the roles are also having a whole lot of fun with it. And that helps. Like, it's, uh, yeah, anyway. No, I, I agree. I think um, this, that scene really stood out to me. I actually made a note about that one, too. Like, this is, I'm surprised to see this in a 1996 film. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently Shane Black, in writing it, was adamant that the, that the, this character that has amnesia and wakes up and has to learn that they're a spy. It has to be a woman um, to, to tell this, to tell this story. Oh yeah. I I think you take that aspect out of this movie. It becomes an uninteresting movie really quickly. Yeah. 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 And, and I think the, you know, there's, there's the, she's like trying to balance motherhood and, and the ending is cool too, because when you see her at the very end, she's kind of balanced even in her appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, she grows her hair out again, but it's blonde now, and you know she's kind of balanced out her two sides. Um, but yeah, this one, it it's different than I remember it being. But I think all movies, all action movies I watch from the '90s are different than I remember them being in the '90s. <laughs> right, you know, I'm I'm viewing them through through a lens many years later. Uh, but yeah, this one, it, it's still the scene that I was cracking up at, just of the 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 climax of amazing 90s action ridiculousness was <laughs> the burning corpse on the Christmas lights that she uses to like ride. Oh, yeah. It's just that old <laughs> Uses sequence. the weight of the burning corpse to ride up the Christmas lights to shoot at the helicopter. Yeah. Which, which and, is fantastic. Like, I, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's... They just don't make them like this anymore, I guess, is the way you 
But. Yeah. I mean, Sarah and I were watching this together, and, and our daughter came down, our 11-year-old came down during that scene. And she's <laughs> just like, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, like this was a normal, like, you would rent it at a video store movie, dime, dime a dozen type thing here. Kid. Yep. Like, yep. Like, yep. They, they um, don't, like you said, they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah. I, I also noticed you mentioned, like, cliches of 90s action movies, like things you don't see in movies now very often, is the amount of collateral damage, like the way they'll just, like, shoot through people, like bystanders, and, like, there's the train sequence, yeah. or tra- train station sequence, where the, the bad guys, like the, all the agents that work for, what's his name, snotty, ineffectual villain, which we should talk about, yeah. but um, the uh, they just come in and open fire on... Um, on Sam and and Mitch in the train station and literally just mow down people just like people getting shot everywhere mm-hmm. and it's like wow like this this certainly does not fly in movies anymore nor should it probably like we should think about that like what is that what does that say about well, but i'm sure when they were making this movie they're not thinking about it it's just like oh there's there's bad guys bad guys shoot people that's you know well, you know, I mean, let's... it's not like you see the hero mowing down innocent people or anything, but no. And if you'll remember, you know, shortly after this, just a few years after this, you had things happening in real life where people were getting mowed down, things like yeah. Columbine, and movies right. were were definitely put under the microscope as a scapegoat for that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Whether whether they should be or not is a discussion for another time. Um, you know to say that they weren't but um you know i that's around the time that that changed you i don't think we've seen i mean remember the matrix was even brought up after columbine because there's the oh yeah there there's a trench coats with trench coats and all of that so i'm not i'm not you know blaming any movie whether it's long kiss goodnight or matrix or anything else for for those incidences of course but any any one of a hundred movies that that did something like that so but that is around the time when things changed um, yeah, because agreed. whether Hollywood was to to be blamed or not, they changed course after that, for better. Or I worse. think after that, when you have a, a situation where, you know, in, in real life, where you know s- something like that happens, each of those people, I mean, that the loss is felt very heavily, and so I think people took a step back and thought, and like narratively, when we're telling stories, you know, when we're showing people things like that happening. We need to take that in consideration. This is no longer just set decorations or extras or whatever. Like we have to consider when somebody's being killed, that that's a person, you know, and that that's a story and that's something. Maybe it's not the story we're telling, but it still needs to be respected in that manner. And I think that changed big time after. Well, after and, Col- and, especially after Columbine. Yeah, but, you know. Well, and I don't I don't want to derail a conversation on Long Kiss Goodnight, but the thought just popped into my head, and we haven't done a. a much of DC movie references in our reviews lately. So, do you think, oh, yeah. you know, remember when Man of Steel came out, that was some big criticism of Man of Steel yeah. was the, you know, destruction of and all these, you know, collateral damage and innocent bystanders and stuff. Do you think anybody would have cared if that came out in 1996? No. Not one bit. Yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> every movie in 1996 was doing that, every, especially every action movie. Like, Batman set people on fire. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Anyway, though. But yeah, I, I um, that was something that stood out. That especially the 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 train station scene or bus station scene or whatever it was. That one really yeah. stood out. It, like this, it is stood not out to me like how anymore. many innocent, you know, quote unquote, innocent bystanders got shot in that scene. Shot and you know injured and or killed, but definitely shot with bullets. Like it was like wow. And then the minimal That's... news coverage 
about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, though the, the minimal news coverage was still pretty graphic. Like, you see them shoving bloody heads into body bags. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, there was a couple of things I, I noticed. Kind of similar to the, the news footage in Frankenhooker. Right? Yeah, right? Where it's like, <laughs> what, who would actually be showing this? Unless that's a statement about how where they thought things were going, and, you know, they were kind of right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but... Yeah, I mean, overall, I think out of all the, the 90s action films, this one is a little bit smarter. Uh, yeah. Especially in yeah, how it's in a lot set of ways. up. Um, but yeah, the, the villains in this one... God, there's a couple. You've got Joseph McKenna's character, One-Eyed Jack, who's yeah. a convict that was supposed to have killed Charlie and didn't. Thought he did, but didn't. And then you've yeah, got... Yeah, he's the first one that spots her Yeah, the Christmas parade. Oh yeah, by the way... We forgot to mention this is totally a Christmas movie. If Die Hard's totally. a Christmas movie, this is totally a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Too. Yeah, this is definitely yeah, a Christmas but... movie that doesn't get enough attention. Um, <laughs> yeah, one one eye Jack spots her in a Christmas parade, which she's in as a as a school teacher in her hometown. So, and then you have um, well, Brian Cox isn't a villain in this. He's Doctor Nathan Waldman, who was yeah, he's like Charlie's. Um, Charlie slash Samantha, whatever you want to call her, but um, her protege, person who trained her and brought her up in a lot of, like, at least in older childhood, you get the picture. Right. And then, and so he's still on her side. it's amazing. I mentioned earlier in the show that I watched uh, a movie that was made recently with Brian Cox. Brian Cox looks old in this movie, like oldish in this movie, but it's amazing how he doesn't really look any different in a movie that was made in 2019. So... Good, good on him for that. <laughs> well, and he's great in everything. I don't think I've ever seen oh, yeah. him in a role where he's bad. He's he's, just he's one of those guys, just solid character actor. He's going to be incredible at everything he's in. So, yeah. Yep. Um, and then there is David Morse plays Luke, who was originally one of her targets. Yep. Um, so who's we, the best of the three villains in this movie? I yeah. think. But. Well, he's another one who's always very good. He's a good character actor. Yeah, yeah, you know, and a lot of stuff. Um, and then you've got Craig Birko as Timothy, <laughs> who's like the main villain. Yeah, why don't we rec- recognize this guy's name? Well, wait, because he was not interesting at all as a villain in this film. So, but you know the thing, like, <laughs> I, the, this is a weakness of this movie, in my opinion. Craig is, uh, Craig Birko gets me because, like, I I saw him in this. I was like, oh, I know that guy. I don't know his name. I had to look it up, but. I was like, mm-hmm. he's been in a bunch of stuff. And then I look up his filmography, I'm like, no, I mean, nothing. I haven't seen many of these. What have I seen him from? There was, it was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's the photographer they meet for the motorcycle race. Ah, okay. When they're out in the desert. Yep. I he's, remember the scene. I'd have to go back and look at it to yeah. see. Lacerda. Yeah. yeah, they're meeting the photographer, Lacerda. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he's just kind of a weird guy in that one. But... Yeah, I think that's where I, I recognized him from. But, yeah, he's the main villain, but he's not really... Yeah, he doesn't really do... He's just not really great as, like, the arch-nemesis of... Charlie's, like, arch-nemesis in this movie. Um, he certainly seems like like a trust fund douchebag kind of, like, character. But if that's what he was going for, like, okay, I, I get it. But the, he doesn't ever seem to pose any real threat to anybody like it seems like you could take this guy out in a second like 
you know, I may be able, actually, you know, a man who has never once been in a fight in my entire life might be able to take this guy. Like, you know, it's, he's not threatening one bit. <laughs> like, well, we, needed I, a good, we needed a good villain, even somebody that could chew the scenery a little bit in this kind of movie. And this guy's just playing, you know, frat guy, trust fund, uh, whatever. I don't know. That's the vibe I got. Well, the, the conspiracy in here, too, is pretty ridiculous um yeah so it's being led by a cia director perkins who's played by patrick malahide who you might know is um one of the great joys in game of thrones um right yeah he um so what they're gonna do is blow up niagara falls set off a huge chemical bomb in niagara falls but it's gonna be a false flag and they're gonna blame it on islamic terrorists and the name of it is project honeymoon and I just got to thinking while watching it how quickly Charlie and Mitch figure out, oh, Project Honeymoon, they're going to blow up Niagara Falls. It's like, they mm-hmm. figured it out that quickly. You're going to keep this a secret otherwise? Like, that was your plan? <laughs> this was the code well, name? The entire plot is preposterous, but that's fine, because a lot of things about the movie are preposterous. I'm, I'm good. I'm on board with that. But yeah, like, the amount of people that, like, just figure it out before... You know, it's revealed of what's actually going on is, yeah, it's, I don't know. There's no, like, the mystery aspect, the mystery slash conspiracy aspect of this movie doesn't really work. It's, you're really just kind of waiting for, you know, Charlie to emerge from her shell, like, when you know, take over the Samantha character. That's the interesting part of it. The, the whole actual, like, conspiracy plot stuff, like, it's fine. It's there. It's in the background. It it moves the movie along, but I don't think anybody's invested in it at all. They don't spend a lot of time with it at all. It's just like, oh, terrorists are, are they're faking a terrorist attack, and there's gonna be a bomb. Good. We're gonna get a, a good climax where there's a, a big bomb. Like, well, and, and to be honest, so. the story's real attraction. Like, the, what they're really selling you in the story is the Samantha Charlie split personality amnesia thing. I don't want to mm-hmm. call it split personality. It's not that. <laughs> but um, just how you're seeing Gina Davis play these two characters. That's what you're there for. So whatever moves the plot along, fine. You know, that's really the the crux of it, though. Um, and and it, it works. And I, I we should have mentioned, too, because I don't think we did before, that the Samantha Kane personality was actually Charlie's cover when she was a spy. Mm-hmm. So that's why when she wakes up, the only name she remembers is Samantha, and she has this vague backstory. But that's because it was all fabricated; it was all a cover. So that was kind of interesting. Like, what if you what if you were a spy and you woke up and the only ident- identity you had any memory of was your cover? Yeah. So that's kind of a cool selling point. But yeah, the the whole terrorist plot and everything, or the fake terrorist plot conspiracy, is pretty pretty rushed and, and kind of lukewarm but that's okay because that's not what you're here for they had to have her yeah. do something <laughs> you know yeah i do like when she she turns into like she goes full charlie that she essentially starts doing that christian bale batman voice like that's um yeah <laughs> Which I thought was an interesting choice by Gina Davis, but it fits. It fits. It's yeah. a, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it it works in this movie. You know, I there's think, some. So. She does some cool shit though. Like, oh yeah. And I'm not yeah, talking she's... special effects. There's some like there's a a swagger. There's a a, 
Oh yeah, attitude. she she plays the hell out of this role. Like I think she was great in this. There's like, the cool little thing she does with the shot glass. I oh, I yeah, I, rolling it across her face. Like, I, I, I forgot to, about that. Yeah, I turned to Sarah. I was like, I got to rewatch this just to like YouTube that because I got to learn how to do that. That was cool. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a rough night getting that one down. Um, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> get, oh, get some practice on. Yeah, that. I'm gonna have to practice again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even like so, she does some cool MacGyver shit. That's kind of neat, you know, when they're her and her daughter are locked in the deep freezer and she had the the sense to fill the doll head with kerosene. I mean, which god, resp- re- reciting it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, there's some just cool stuff that that she does. It's a cool character. Yeah, well in that same scene the kerosene she's trying to ignite the kerosene and is trying to do it with the spark and it ends up that the the little girl, her daughter is is keeping matches in her in her cast because she gave her a candle in the earlier in the so i mean i feel like the moral of the story here is always let your kids play with matches right you always make sure your kids yeah carry in some matches verbally abuse your kids and give them matches (laughs) yeah yeah that's mother Mother of the year award here so though i think after watching her mom mow down a bunch of people with an assault rifle yeah i'm sure that the matches and the, the ice skating incident are the least of her worries there is no point in the third act of this movie where, you know, this kid is not traumatized. So, like, yeah, but, yeah. you know, though, if they there was talk of doing a sequel and if they would have, this would be a fun one to reboot, to be honest. With, yeah, with it could, this Davis could be very Samuel fun. Jackson, this would be a lot of fun to do. But you know that they would have to have the daughter like totally fine. Like getting ready to go to college. Oh, the shit! At this point, she'd be in college or graduating. Yeah, now, but she'd be like, yeah. no, she'd be like in her like late twenties, <laughs> like, yeah, almost our age. <laughs> well, then maybe they would have her like going to therapy sessions. <laughs> yeah, I think it it could be fun. This would be really fun to just do now again. Like start it up. Like I don't know what reason like Charlie would have to get back into the game, but like yeah, it'd be uh it could be fun. There was. You have to have those two actors. Like you couldn't do it without the two of them, though. They yeah. have to be involved. Like it's uh... well, there there was, I guess, in the original script, Shane Black wrote on the last page that there would be a sequel called The Kiss After Lightning. Never mm-hmm. came to fruition. And yeah. as of two thousand seven there was a possible sequence of the works, but as of this year, nothing is moving on that one. Um yeah. it it didn't do great. Um it, it didn't do well in the box office, but it's always gotten pretty good reviews. It didn't do terrible box office wise. Just, I mean, it uh kind of fizzled. But I feel like this one was a sleeper hit a little bit. Um, I know just from like kind of well, my myself renting and seeing it and enjoying it, but kind of passing it around. Like a a lot of kids my age at least were enjoying the hell out of this movie so it, this was renting this was going off the yeah. shelves um i don't know if it was quite the sleeper hit that like something like um trying to think of another movie review but like boondock saints for instance uh that that was becoming a phenomenon this one obviously did not but it certainly was not an unsuccessful film it was it was a profitable film in the box office i'm sure they wished for more but and then i i would certainly think on video they made quite a bit with this one well yeah and and there's also some speculation that the reason this one didn't do so well is because the last movie that 
Rennie Har uh, that Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis had done. Oh, was Cutthroat, Cutthroat Island. Cutthroat Island, which was a huge yeah. box office bomb. Which I also loved growing up, and I haven't seen since then. So that one's going to have to come up someday, too, I think. Yeah, I've never seen it, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've never seen that one. But yeah, apparently I didn't know this, but uh, Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis were married at the time that this movie was made. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, I knew they were married. I didn't know. I, I would assume, I assumed it was either before or, or sorry, during or after this uh, yeah, apparently, time when she apparently was working. During, yeah. So yeah, there's some kind of, I don't know, this one felt a lot like a mid-90s movie time capsule. This is the oh, yeah. kind of stuff you were seeing. In including Samuel L. Jackson, you know, just throwing out cliche Samuel L. Jackson stuff everywhere. But it, it's fantastic. He does he does some of his best stuff in this movie, like his yeah. best bits, if you want to call oh, them yeah. that. But, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it, this is definitely him without Tarantino directing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you brought up Pulp Fiction at the beginning. You're right. That's where I think a lot of people, that's when, when Samuel L. Jackson became a name. Because he'd been right. in so much stuff before. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean... Yeah, before and, and, you know, long after he's been able to get stuff. But he became, yeah, household name and got some starring roles right around this time, uh, post-Pulp Fiction. And not every single thing was like, hey, be like you were in Pulp Fiction, but a lot of them were, unfortunately, yeah. so... Well, and I keep, I mean, <laughs> I still to this day keep forgetting that Samuel L. Jackson's in Jurassic Park. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just because it's such a the Arnold character is such a small role in in right. the, the movie. Um, but yeah, you know, but still, that was because he that wasn't before he was like same. really really known. You know, yeah, um, same year as Pulp Fiction, right? Like yeah, that that was right before he broke out as a big star. Yep, it could have been Spielberg instead. It was Tarantino, which did both of them very well. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, in this case, you're seeing him more just kind of. You're right. I, they definitely said you know be that character a bit but you're seeing him do it on his own and you can still see some of this too in, in other roles like i think snakes on a plane which is one we should review oh, yeah. too um <laughs> yeah you know because that's got a fun story behind it as well uh right. how it got made but yeah samuel jackson just was was chewing the scene in that one just like he does here and it it, it benefits from it definitely yeah he's he's i mean he is a fantastic actor and he's a professional but he's also uh, he embraces stuff like this like he does it really well like it may not be like the most like intellectually satisfying stuff but he's hilarious i mean he's good he, he's got a certainly got a comedy side to him that you know being that he didn't come from a background of of, of comedy I, I think he does a good job with it right like, yeah so. well um kind of wrapping things up if you had any final thoughts or a grade for the long kiss goodnight what do you think um, I think this was still a pretty enjoyable movie. Um, I don't know if it's not quite as awesome as I thought it was, you know, growing up when I first saw it. I did, I did notice that it, it was a little more, um, I felt it was a little more reserved than memory told me. This was a, I think I mentioned that earlier. I thought it was a balls to the wall kind of action movie. That's what my memory was telling me. And it's a little more slower paced than I thought, but I think that's just a modern, you know, nineties versus modern kind of mentality going back to that so i don't know if i really hold that against it i think it works um the things that impressed me the most about it silly 90s action sequences including like um the ice skate uh chase scene oh, which doesn't make any sense at all it's just hilariously um 
if you try to make that work in any real world sort of way it's like wait she sat down and laced these things up during this <laughs> like anyway but it would take um, me longer to lace up ice skates than it would to just get in the car and drive <laughs> absolutely and uh yeah, but I was impressed by the characters, honestly. Like the first of all, you know, the fact that they're even the leads in the movie, but the, how satisfying they are as the leads and the way their relationship builds, and just the way they play off of each other, it looks like they're both having a blast making this film, and uh, that always translates. I feel like to 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 the audience's enjoyment of it. Um, there's really good, some really great action moments in this. Uh, there's at least three really great action scenes, and. Um, I think that's where my memory is telling me just because of the, the kind of the cool moments, uh, for memorable moments, if I'm going to mention them for action sequences, jumping from the second story window in that one chase scene when she uses the um, like submachine gun to blast a hole in the ice underneath yeah, <laughs> and then fall it down. Exiting the, the train station, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, then, yeah, you mentioned the burning body Christmas lights uh thing that that's another another favorite so yeah lots of good 90s stuff um so yeah I, I think like being will uh hopefully you know earn a few points back from from rennie here if he'll retweet us again we'll see but uh this one is definitely a little higher on my list than uh, the exorcist movie that we of his that we reviewed um it's not perfect uh, to a modern audience. I'm not sure it's going to translate well, but for me, going back to it, it was it was fun. It was uh, an interesting one to revisit. I think it's a little too long, but at the end of the day, you know, it's fine. It's it's. I think I'm going to land at. I was fighting with this one because originally I wrote down a C plus, but as we talked about it, I, I found it more a little more endearing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna knock it up to a B minus if uh, that's. Uh, um. Yeah, generally I enjoyed it. It's not perfect. But. Yeah, I, I had a really similar reaction to it. I remember this one being really, really, really cool, and watching it, it was like, it went down to maybe really cool. <laughs> you know? Like, it, yeah. yeah, there's some pacing issues, but I think I was picking up now more on some of the dialogue than I probably did when I was a teenager and I first saw this. Um, there are some, some parts in it that really are, like we talked about before, really surprising how well they do last, or how, how they hold up today like that uh -huh. the scene with the jogger really i noticed that one too and that i i had to make a note on that one um but but it, it's kind of still like okay nefem nikita you know in, mm -hmm. in one way meets macgyver um but it, it's <laughs> fun and that's what we liked back then and actually it's still pretty enjoyable i i agree i think there's some parts that wouldn't hold a modern audience but i think there's also some themes here that uh really would so I'm actually going to land spot on same place with a B minus. Uh, you know, there's some pacing issues and and there's some effects that just don't stand to the test of time. But that's not their fault. So yeah, it's I, I'd say it's it's still it's worth a revisit if you've seen it before and you enjoyed it. It's worth a visit if you've never seen it. Um, it's worth checking out, but just kind of keep in mind when this was made. There's nothing yeah. like offensive about it necessarily, but just keep in mind like this is how they made movies and we ate it up. So, <laughs> right. but uh, we would also love to hear uh, what any of our listeners think of the long kiss. Good night. Did you see this one back in the theaters? Was this a video rental for you? Or are you just now checking it out on uh, streaming service? I believe this one is streaming on Tubi. 
Yeah. And we'd yeah. love it if you would share those questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms with us at the Video Junker Podcast at gmail.com or send us a tweet at Video Junk Pod or find us on Facebook at the main Video Junker Podcast page or the Video Junker Podcast group. We would love to hear from you. And the Video Junkyard Podcast now has an official Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash Podcast. If you like the podcast, we hope you consider uh, giving a little bit back to help us create the podcast uh, in the future. Got any money? Money collected through Patreon only goes back into the podcast and helps us cover the cost of production and web hosting. Uh, and we appreciate anything that you could, you could give. And uh, there are some cool perks uh, for each tier of membership and uh, including things such as video junkyard podcast swag and merchandise exclusive members only content the ability to vote in polls to decide what movies we watch on the show so head over to patreon and check it out if you're interested and thank you very much for your continued support of the podcast coming up on the podcast we got a lot of exciting stuff uh we're going to be checking out the guyver next week uh the uh cult film starring mark hamill and uh that's about all i know about the guyver so that's going to be an interesting first watch for me uh week after that we're going to check out 1990 the bronx warriors these are both uh i believe available streaming on tubi um yep let me correct that uh the guyver is not available streaming at the moment um we'll we'll get some information as to where you can possibly track that one down uh but when we do check it out but 1990 the bronx warriors is definitely available on tubi so yeah head over to tubi to check that out prior to listening to the show and um yeah, so lots of good stuff coming up. We also have another audience pick coming up later in the month as well. So, We want to thank you once again for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and hope that you'll share around. Until next time, this is Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. Have a good evening. Please don't move. What the hell is this? Uh, 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 don't give me attitude, sir. So you're assuming I won't shoot your sorry ass, and everyone knows when you make an assumption... You make an ass out of you and umption. Now, I'm Sergeant Madigan Vice, and if you do cop a two jerk off, I will see to it you spend the next 10 years in prison getting ass fucked. And if the case is thrown out because my arrest was too violent, I will personally hire men to ass fuck you for the next 10 years. So if you're an ass fucking fan, you go ahead and mouth off. Meanwhile, you're under arrest for the crime of prostitution. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, on Twitter at videojunkpod and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. <laughs> <laughs>